you know, she just texted me the other day that, you know, she had a thing happen to her at a conference that was so annoying, and I totally understood, and we commiserated about that. And she was like, ugh, neurotypicals, am I right? You know, and I'm like, ugh, I totally get you. <laughs> and just having that one person who who gets it is is helpful. Welcome to How To. I'm Carvel Wallace. One weekday morning about three or four years ago, I found myself in a fluorescent-lit conference room at the Kaiser Mental Health Facility, along with my kid's mom and a bunch of other nervous parents. The reason we were all there? Our kids had been recently diagnosed with ADHD. A kindly professional was breaking down the symptoms and experiences of children like ours who suffer from ADHD. And as I looked at the handout, I noticed my vision blurring and my hand shaking. Every single thing on that list was something that I had experienced as a child. Not only had I experienced it, but I had gotten in trouble for it, and I had struggled obsessively to hide these traits from everyone I knew because I was deeply ashamed of them. It was like one of those moments where your whole life flashes before your eyes and you realize that nothing was what you thought it was, that you weren't who you thought you were. I was later tested and diagnosed with ADHD myself, and in some ways, it began to change my entire life. Getting my son diagnosed had helped me get diagnosed. And that journey is a lot more common than you think, and not just with ADHD. My son is in middle school. The counselor recommended that we get a a neuro evaluation. And ultimately, when the diagnosis came in, there were some things that I completely expected, but then there was also this, you know, autism spectrum thing. That's this week's listener, who we're calling Dave. The joke has always been that my son and I are the same person. And so through the entire diagnostic process, Dave was sitting there and going down the checklist and going, yep, that's me, and that's me, and that's also me. He realized that he, too is on the autism spectrum. It wasn't a complete surprise, just something that I hadn't really been thinking about at all relative to my own life. You know, there's there's a label on it, there's some social stigma. The big thing for me was this fear of missing out. The whole world is communicating non-verbally in a way that I didn't know they were communicating. There is no easy definition of autism spectrum disorder, which we will get more into later. But for now, just know that it tends to present as sensory differences or communication challenges. I had this ability just to get completely engrossed in stuff and kind of block everything out. I would sometimes talk to myself. It would be like a a very verbal back and forth. And those were all things that I had seen in my dad and kind of just thought it was somewhat normal. This isn't Dave's first experience with a neurodivergence diagnosis. And talking about his ADHD didn't go super well in the past. I remember when I was applying to business school, I suggested to my cousin, hey, why don't I put in that I have ADHD and I've been able to overcome it. And he was like, do not touch that. You don't know how someone's going to react. 
which is one of the reasons he's in a little bit of a quandary over this autism diagnosis. I've been more involved in my son's life because of the diagnosis. So it's been really thought-provoking, but in my situation, the work situation, a bit stifling and not feeling like I can really talk about it openly. But at the same time, I know that there's this pattern that it's no longer just like an individualistic quirk. Uh, so there is you know, a roadmap to to bigger and better and, and more secure things. I love the way that you articulated the dual nature of the feelings that we have when we get a diagnosis like that. On the one hand, that sense of isolation, everyone is operating in some way that I'm not. But then on the other hand, I know this was my experience when I got a late in life diagnosis of ADHD, a feeling of now I actually have an explanation for all of the weird things that I've been experiencing. You understand that you're on a different planet and somehow there's a there's a possibility there to like make sense of it. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're on a different planet, but that, that planet isn't uh, deserted. Yeah. So Lauren, hearing all this, I'd like to bring you into our conversation now. I see you nodding and, and snapping and like agreeing and, and connecting. Very enthusiastic about this. That's Lauren Ober, who's also a resident of this other planet. Some of you may recognize her voice. Lauren is an uber-talented journalist whose work has been on NPR, 99% Invisible, and This American Life. She's also hosted her own shows like The Big Listen and Spectacular Fails. Dave, thank you so much for sharing because, honestly, it's really scary and vulnerable to share this part of yourself. That was my experience when I made an entire podcast about it. That podcast is called The Loudest Girl in the World. And Lauren documented her entire journey, the one that Dave is currently on, to navigate life as a newly diagnosed autistic person. So today on the show... We're going to talk about the ins and outs of neurodivergence and how we can better understand who we really are. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. 
Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. As a kid, Lauren Ober was a talker, a little bit disorganized and struggled to make friends. And while she joked about what she called her idiosyncrasies, that curiosity about her communication quirks didn't turn into a serious investigation until the pandemic happened. While all my non-essential friends were learning how to make sourdough or adopting pandemic dogs or dusting off the old acoustic guitar, my pandemic project became about something else, trying to unscramble my brain. And then finally, in November 2020, I did. Sort of. I took the test. That's Lauren from her podcast, The Loudest Girl in the World. The test she took is something that you can request from your doctor. And while it is very common for people to seek out their own diagnostics, it's also not uncommon for parents like Dave to find out later because autism, ADHD, and other neurodivergent conditions are frequently genetic. I'm glad that, you know, you said that that this has allowed you to bond more with your child because I think for a lot of parents, before they understand that, you know, they might be autistic or otherwise neurodivergent, they're at odds with their child because mm -hmm. they see behavior happening and they know how difficult it can be in school. So they try to issue correctives and yeah. and it makes the kid feel worse and all of that stuff. So the fact that, you know, you can now name it with your child and you can name it with yourself is so important. I think I want to establish some terms here because right now, I mean, for lack of a better phrase, autism is having a moment among young people on social media. There's a lot of just exploring the nature of neurodivergence, which, you know, is, is a double-edged sword in a lot of ways. But can you establish what we're talking about when we when we talk about autism? Like, what is that? Autism is a neurological or neurodevelopmental condition mm -hmm. that has a couple of key traits. When we fixate on, you know, a, a definition, mm -hmm. um, we inevitably leave things out. But really, it's it's a difference in communicating. It's a difference in experiencing the world. Your brain works in a different way. It processes information differently. One way that I've heard autism described, and I, I relate to it, is that being autistic is like walking around the world with the first layer of your skin removed and mm. um, that you are extremely sensitive. And it isn't by choice. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I cry a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's not like I wish that I didn't. Autistic people really like routine or a lot of autistic people have a special interest uh, mm -hmm. or something that has really captured your attention and that you can sort of go down the rabbit hole in for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. But... It only becomes a problem when you're faced with a world that doesn't understand you. But when you're living your everyday life, it's not a problem. I think it's important to note, and we say this in our show, you know, a million times, if you know one autistic person, you know one autistic person. You know, I say that I am subtly autistic um, mm. as opposed to a more profound presentation. For me, it's like autism, ADHD, like whatever. I have all of them. I have none of them. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just, my mm -hmm. brain works differently, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And that's an important thing to consider that, you know, lots of people's brains work differently. Well, I think that's what's so interesting is that it's like the question of the brain works differently. 
the adults around us just tell us to mask because they know what will happen if we don't. So it's just like, get it together, get it together, stop being this way, stop being this way. And remembering all of the difficulty and pain I experienced through that. But as I grow older, I understand that the way I experience the world certainly seems to mystify some people. <laughs> like, And what you said really relates to me that when I'm alone, it works. I'm like, I, I, great. If I'm going to get fixated on like all the samples for De La Soul's second album for like, you know, six hours. Yes, I am. Is that, is that going to be a problem? No, I'm having a great time. But someone else is like, what are you doing? Get it together. And so this feeling of like, I'm okay the way I am. And I've been able to like even make a living at it because I entered this field through music journalism, but that other people are troubled by it. I want to ask this question about difference, which is, Sometimes it feels to me like we're, it's not that we're different from other people. It's that the world is constructed around a certain way of being and we're different from the way it's constructed. Not that different really from because there are so many of us. Am I clocking that accurately, do you think? I mean, I'm sure that every single, you know, all of us here chatting have had of a similar experience of a teacher wanting you to do a thing and you cannot do that thing. You can't sit down or you can't read silently or you can't do whatever and you are not offered an alternative. And that's the wild thing to me is the idea that we expect everyone to perform and act and emote in the exact same ways, even though we all know that, like, everybody's different and it leads to so much heartbreak and heartache. It's very unspoken, right? There's just so much subtext in, you know, what's considered rude and what's considered aggressive or nice. And, you know, I remember uh, hearing a Hidden Brain podcast uh, a few years ago, and they just used the word subtext. And just like what you're really communicating. And it was just like, that's the word. That's the, that's the concept. That's the feeling. And the research says, like, you should actually try to verbalize your subtext. And that's not really socially acceptable. Yeah. And Dave, I wonder, that's kind of what I was going to ask. I wonder if you can give us an example, just, just so we can understand your experience better. Can you give us an example of where you find that either you're missing subtext or that like a social interaction has gone sideways because of the ways in which you feel like communication hasn't worked for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess giving feedback or, or upward mm -hmm. management, it comes off as, as being a more personal, like you're not doing mm -hmm. a good job. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to stay fact-based, but the facts tend to be judged like a personal criticism. I hear that. I hear that. Yeah. I, you're, you're speaking my language. I mean, so much of communication is about the delivery and not necessarily like the message. It's about like the package that it's wrapped in as opposed to what's in the box. And I, I mean, I've experienced that at work. My boss, I had a boss who said, you always come to me with your hair on fire. <laughs> Every time you send a message to me, it's like your hair's on fire. And I realized, oh, what she's saying is that like when I send her a Slack message or a text message or whatever, it's just like, 
we didn't get this piece of music or, you know, I, I didn't get the email from this person as opposed to, hi, hello, how are you? How was your weekend? Are things going well with you? Hey, I had a question. I was wondering if, and a lot of this particularly plagues women and people who are not men because there's like an expectation that you're like nicer and softer mm-hmm. and all of this kind mm-hmm. of, hey, how are your kids? How was the baseball game over the weekend? <laughs> totally. Yes. You know, and you're yes. like, this is just efficient communication. But to them, it's like, well, actually, you should maybe be communicating in a more friendly way or more personal one. It's like, okay, I mean, I wish that wasn't the case, but unfortunately, that's how offices are, and it's and the onus is on people who don't communicate like that to teach yourself how to communicate <laughs> like that, or 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 be really transparent. I just think there's this big tension between trying to mask enough to fit in and also trying to be true to yourself and be transparent with people. And I want to hear really from both of you about how you navigate that. I mean, I think there's a spectrum. (laughs) It's sort of like, you know, (laughs) just as an example, you know, by the way, if and I have discussed, well, how are we going to break this diagnosis to our son? Mm. And what's the, you know, like, let's be really sensitive and, you know, we don't know what the reaction is going to be. And it was so like, yeah, sure. Literally, like, gave it two seconds of thought and then jumped back into his video game, uh, you know, <laughs> keeping that hyper focus going. It is kind of trying to get a read on the specific person, but it, it is sort of very individualistic. In my experience, like, I've had tremendous relationships with my bosses or like dysfunctional relationships with my bosses <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and not a lot of in between. Carvel, I want to know, do you tell people that you have ADHD or are you just like, yeah, oh, my, my ADHD brain, like, are you like chill about it or do you keep it to yourself? Uh, I do tell people m- m- more Listen, I've been masking for 40-something years, so it is my default. And well, so, you're double masking also because you're black man. Yeah, right, exactly. And so it is my default setup, and so if I, like, forget to answer an email or forget to, leaving people on read and text messages is the number one, like, thing. And it and there are people in my life, everyone who's who is still in my life understands that that's part of the deal with me. Some people who are not in my life are not in my life because they're like, I can't deal with this so but when i forget things get dates wrong i often switch numbers in my head i've booked the wrong plane tickets for people like when i make these errors my impulse is to somehow cover it up because i don't want people to know that i messed up and because i feel like it's i still internalize the core message i had from my childhood which is that this mess up is proof that you're not as good yeah and you need to be better. There's so much shame that that is associated with neurodivergence that people are made to feel bad. Like, who cares if you forgot a date or got a number wrong? Like, why does that make you a bad person? Like, are you a bad <laughs> dad because of that? Like, it's so great, Dave, that, you know, your kid now has an ally, Right. And that these younger kids, you know, they grow up like when I give talks and to high school kids or whatever, they're like, I know what neurodivergence is. Duh. Like, tell me something I don't know, which is almost impossible because they know everything. (laughs) But for adults, it's still like, ooh, so taboo. Like you're autistic or 
ADHD as an adult, what's that? Like, what does that mean you can't sit in your seat? It's like, ugh, no dummies. Like, read the internet for like one minute and you can be well-versed. Or just understand, like, people function differently. The end. Like, ugh, it doesn't seem like it's that hard. But while we wait for the world to catch up, we're going to talk about some things that can be done right now to make communication a little easier. That's after this quick break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. On Death, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things. I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive. A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving. Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts. If you rely on how-to to help you navigate a new diagnosis, the best way to support the show is by joining Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Signing up for Slate Plus helps us help all the people you hear on our podcast every week. We're all in this together, which is why we really appreciate your show of support. And there's some nice benefits, too. Plus, members will never hear another ad on our podcast or any other Slate podcast. You'll also get free and total access to Slate's website. So I hope you'll join if you can. To sign up now, go to slate.com slash howto plus. Again, that's slate.com slash howto plus. Thanks. We're back with Dave, who recently found out that he and his son are on the autism spectrum, and Lauren Ober, host of The Loudest Girl in the World. What is your general advice around disclosure? Oh, well, I really hope that by making the show that that was my disclosure and I would never have to talk about it again. Because <laughs> you kind of just like want to get on with your life. And, you know, to be quite honest, I haven't figured out how to manage the disclosure um, and not be totally exhausted by it, to be honest, because mm. in the disclosure, if you're not disclosing to, like, the youth who already know, people require a lot of educating. Look, like, 
I'm a queer person. I've had hideous questions asked of me about, you know, uh, gay people over the years. And mm-hmm. I always feel like I do have the energy and, and emotional bandwidth to be able to field questions, even when they're ignorant. And I think I do with neurodivergence. But I think there are instances where I've thought, well, it would be more helpful if this person, like, the way that I gauge it is, would it be more helpful for the person I'm interacting with to have that knowledge so that we could have, like, Mm. a smoother path? It's a really individual thing where it's like, do you feel safe? Do you feel comfortable? Do you feel confident in disclosing or even not even disclosing, just, like, talking about who you are? You know, because it doesn't have to be like (gasps) admission time, you know. So here's an important insight. The question of disclosure is a thorny one. Like how much should you say and to whom should you say it? But maybe you only need to give just enough info to make the interaction go smoothly. If the other person's lack of knowledge is making it harder for the two of you to engage in a helpful way, then try saying something like, actually, this is my learning style. Or, sometimes I have trouble with this kind of thing, don't take it personally. You can tell them what they need to know without saying more than you want to say. Dave, I'm curious about what your experiences with telling people have been like. Have you told people at work? Have you selectively told people? What's what's that been like for you? Or in your family, like, or your wider circle, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I obviously, my, my wife knows. And I have told, like, two or three people. Uh, you know, actually, I have an ADHD coach that I've worked with. Mm. And I've, I've told my ADHD coach that's led to kind of an, uh, the next level, I would say, kind mm-hmm. of, of, of support around that. Uh, I have told one person at work that has served as a bit of my translator. And I also told a, another person at work that I'm, I'm pretty close with. I've not told my parents. I don't think that that would be a constructive conversation. In fact, the, the ADHD thing, which I've known about for years, uh, we just broached that topic last month for the first time, uh, and, and it came up in, in talking about another family member. There's a sense of, you know, what, what's the what's the judgment? You know, how how do I think this person will perceive that? So I recently I was thinking, um, like, what experiences do I have where I've just disclosed and I had my knee replaced some months ago. And so I've been in physical therapy for a long time. And one of the physical therapy assistants was explaining an exercise to me. And she was like, and you do this and you do this and you do this. And I was like, listen, really sorry. Like, I am not an auditory learner. Actually, I don't even know why I apologize because, like, I have nothing to apologize for. But (laughs) I said, you know, I'm not an auditory learner. If if you could show that to me, that would be really Mm. helpful. And I didn't go into some whole rigmarole like, I'm autistic and my brain works like this and I can't blah, blah, blah. You know, like, she didn't need to know all that information. Like, I'm, you know, I see her two times a week for an hour. So she said, oh, yeah, sure. And she did the exercise for me. And I was like, oh, yeah, great. I got it. And I think being able to have a shorthand for yourself where you're like, okay, here is how I do things 
And then mm-hmm. being able to articulate that in in a way for people when it's appropriate. I also want to note, I don't mm. want this to be forgotten, autism, ADHD, other neurodivergence, they're disabilities. Kids who are autistic and have ADHD in schools, they hopefully get individualized educational plans that make it easier for them to move through school. Like, you can get accommodations as a university student. You have the right to have accommodations in your workplace. Whether you Mm. choose to identify as a disabled person or not, they are disabilities. I do want to ask you, Dave, how learning this changed the way that you felt about yourself or the way that you thought about yourself. And the reason I'm asking that is because uh, the thing that Lauren just said about disabled really reminded me of Again, like my, in my own experience growing up, I thought of myself as like helpless, hapless, accident prone, weirdo who can't do anything right. And then I noticed a subtle shift when there was a diagnosis that I got, you know, that I was driven to get because of what happened with my son. And then I went and tested and got diagnosed. I thought of myself as, oh, I'm a person who actually has been thinking and working uphill for the entirety of my life. <laughs> it's a subtle difference. And I'm wondering, uh, I mean, I wish I could stay thinking that, but a lot of times I still think you're a hapless loser, but that's just my internalized stuff. We can talk about that with my therapist, <laughs> but I'm curious about what, if in any way, this changed the way you thought of yourself. Yeah. And you know, there, there are however many stages of grief, right? Like there's, there's mm-hmm. uh, and I had already moved through that yeah. process with ADHD Right. Sort of like at at first there's kind of like this, oh, there's an explanation and Uh it's much more deep rooted than you think it is. I have a very Catholic family and there's there's something about the will to do something right. (laughs) Like like you can you can do anything if you just have yeah. the will to change yeah. it that brought a lot of shame there was a, a mm-hmm. sense of freedom from that like mm-hmm. it's not about the will right it's just like your your brain is functioning differently being a weirdo is just like an individual quirk mm-hmm. right and then mm-hmm. you can't mm-hmm. connect with anybody and nobody gets you but then being on the autism spectrum means your misunderstood tribe is is out there, um, but it's not you know it's not as easy to connect with as an adult, right? Because everyone is at home uh, dealing with their own communication issues. It's really hard to connect. <laughs> right. I relate to what you said, Dave, about grief because I think you know when I got my diagnosis, while it was relieving, it was also really hard because you realize well. There's not a fix. There's not a fix Mm. for me. I don't get better. And I think one thing a diagnosis did for me once I processed all of that is it gave me a language to be more gentle to myself Mm. and to have more grace around, like, who I am, you know, as an adult. Like, I'm not going to materially change, really, but I can now be able to communicate who I am, what I need, how I move through the world in a much better way. What are some resources that are available for someone who's been diagnosed in adulthood and has entered adulthood? Like, where do you go? What do you do? I mean, I 
I, I was hoping that Dave could tell me. Uh, <laughs> I thought that's why you invited me on here because um, I need some help. No, I mean, look, it's it is it is difficult. You know, I live in the Washington D.C. area. There is an organization here for autistic adults who mm-hmm. want to connect. It doesn't happen mm-hmm. to be my thing, but it can be other people's things. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly, you know, type any question you have into Reddit uh, and you'll find like <laughs> a group of people. There's a really great book that I, I loved that just helped put everything in context for me, which was called In a Different Key by uh, John Donvan and Karen Zucker. You know, I wish there was like a quick fix. Uh, you know, here's mm. how you connect with people. But one of the challenges, you know, of autism, or one of the differences is like communication and connection. I mean, my partner's middle child uh, is 21, and they have found their connection online with other autistic kids. Like, that's not a thing for me, but that's a thing for them. And, you know, I had an episode on my show where it was like, Lauren finds an autistic friend. And and I still get people writing to me like, I'll be your autistic friend. And I'm like, "Mm, (laughs) I think I didn't really want autistic friends as such. I just needed people to understand. And having a little bit of sense of humor around things and having a little bit of joy in the difficult times. And where, like, when you're having a... A frustrating moment. Um, where do you, or where did you start? You know, turning to for support. Google online, or did you have someone to talk to, or? Yeah, I mean, luckily, I have a really great therapist who works with autistic women, and she's very well versed in that population. So that's been really, really helpful. Although it's it's hard. It's a needle in a haystack. People are expensive. It's not for everybody. And then, you know, I ended up having like one friend um, who is autistic who I met doing the show, and she has been my buddy. Here's another insight. If you can, find a buddy, someone who understands and is sympathetic to your experience. You know, one of the reasons we need to build community with people who understand us is that moving through the world with any kind of neurodivergence can be very hard. You can feel overwhelmed, overstimulated, isolated, and most of all, ashamed because everyone else seems to be just behaving normally. Having someone that sees you in all your neurodivergent wholeness and treats you with care and understanding can be so healing. And when someone can't treat you that way, it can really hurt. Like I have meltdowns, like a decent amount, Um, way more meltdowns than I would like to. And the other day I had one and we were about to go you know, peach picking with my nephews and, you know, I'm with my partner and my mom's like, what's wrong with Lauren? Why is she running? You know, and I just had to say, like, I'm not feeling well, but I don't have to tell you like all the things or whatever. It's like, I'm not feeling well and hope Mm. that like people get it. It's like, okay, yeah. Autistic people are more prone to meltdowns. Like if you just leave me alone, I can handle it myself. But Mm. just like, instead of saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, because I'm not fine, you know? Mm. I guess I'm just saying, like, finding a way to be more honest with yourself and other people sort of opens up channels of connection. And they don't have to be with autistic people. They can be with, you know, like, narrow tips. 
Yeah, like mm. I, I definitely kind of noticed that in your podcast, you know, kind of having that frustration and kind of blurred out, like yeah, having your meltdowns. And do you feel like you're at a place now where, you know, you found a solution? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think knowing why I feel a particular way or being able to understand what is triggering to like what what could potentially put me in a place where I have a meltdown. So being more attuned to my emotions, like being more attuned to my stress level as opposed to pushing, 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 and then getting to a breaking point and then being an asshole to people around me or being an asshole to myself. Um, so I think like those are the tools, like being more aware of how I'm feeling in any particular moment. Um, so to be aware, like on the horizon, there could be a meltdown, like we don't want to reach that point. So maybe if you can't be at this loud party, maybe you leave and that's okay. I also like that you drew a distinction between telling people what your diagnosis is and just telling people what you need. Mm hmm. <laughs> I don't need to, I don't need that, to that pathologize those are two separate things. it. I yeah. mean, why look like, is it going to help the situation if I tell you that I'm autistic? No, it's probably going to make it worse to be honest because people mm. think of autism as like rain man, the end, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, mm -hmm. okay, no, like I don't have to go through steps of explaining it to you, but it's so hard. Cause really what you want is for people just to get it. You know, mm -hmm. and I think mm -hmm. we're a long way off from that. I wish that mm. we weren't, but I, I feel like we are, people are really limited and, you know, it's asking you to be much more expansive in your understanding of, of how people's brains work. And it's definitely it reinforces loneliness. Absolutely. But that also can, you know, sort of be flipped in a, in a positive way. In the reporting for the show, um, one of the things I learned is that recently in New Zealand, uh, in the Maori language, they created a word for autism, which is takiwatanga, which means in one's own time and space. And I think that mm. that's like a very beautiful way of thinking about autism, which is, it has, it's not clinical, it it's not uh, disabling, it's like you are operating in your own time and space. And, you know, the shadow side of that is that it can be very isolating and lonely. But then when you look at, well, what has it given you? What has it allowed you to do? Who has it allowed you to connect with? That's a really important thing to think about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it there's this, um, I remember hearing, I think it was something about ants, let's say, mm -hmm. and that um, 95 or, you know, 99% of ants are like all kind of following the crowd and kind of going in the straight line. But there's these, these outliers that they go out and explore on their own. And they, they're unlike most of the rest of the ants, but they're critical to the survival because they're they're the ones that find the new food sources and the new places to live when they're, you know, when their anthills get destroyed. And so it's sort of like, I think some of it is is finding that purpose that aligns with my my brain function. And, mm -hmm. and you know, I'll get there. Mm -hmm. I'll get there.
I believe it. I believe it. There's no terminus, right? It's a it's a constant evolution. It was really scary to do an entire narrative podcast about my own autism mm. journey. Um, I still can't believe I did it. I'm like, why did I do that? It was a terrible idea. But afterwards, you know, I my my friends listened to it, and and I <laughs> there's this one guy who he's real he's real joker. You know, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, how's he going to – it was real serious. You know, the show was serious. How's he going to deal with this? And in the show, I say, you know, I don't I don't love being hugged by strangers. You mm-hmm. know, I don't love it, which is code for, like, please don't hug me if I don't know you. <laughs> and he was like, now that I know that, I'm just going to hug you all the time. And so every time I see him, he's, like, bear hugging me and, like, being, like, that turdy little brother – who's like picking at the thing, but it's like out in the open, right? Mm -hmm. And that was really heartening to me. And then I was like, get off me, like stop touching me. (laughs) 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 But now it's like, it's it's lovely and we're all on the same page about it, you know? Yeah. And everyone can do that. Like you don't have to be autistic Mm -hmm. or neurodivergent to be sensitive to other people's needs. Mm -hmm. And I think we could all do that in every single direction and make life a whole lot easier for all of us. Dave, I want to know if you have any uh, final questions or thoughts uh, for Lauren or for any of us. Lauren, I know that you kind of referenced this earlier, but I'm still going to have to ask you uh, at the end of this, if if you would be my autistic friend. Yes, I was oh. hoping you would ask me that. Yes. yes. Totally, totally. Honestly, like, you know, anytime, drop me a line. I love it. I love it. This has been so great. I want to thank you guys both for spending time with us, like really deeply. And Lauren, as always, uh, it's a pleasure to have you. And um, thank you for sharing your journey and expertise with us. Thank Um, you, Carvel. Thank you for sharing a part of yourself on this chat, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It made me feel this. I really needed this. This really helped me feel seen and clarified some things. So are you going to be our ADHD friend now? (laughs) <laughs> yes, I'll be your ADHD. Oh, Yay! <laughs> Let's do it. There is nothing better than finding a friend who understands the parts of you that make you feel weird and out of place. And I know that no one person can be perfect, but it's just so good to have just a moment where you can drop the mask and feel understood. I want that for myself and you. I want that for all of us. Do you have a problem that needs understanding? Send us a note at howtoatslate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001 and we might have you on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend because that helps us help more people. How To's executive producers Derek John, Rosemary Belson, Kevin Bendis, and Jabari Butler produced this episode. Mara Jacob is senior technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. And I'm Carvel Wallace. Thanks for listening. <laughs>